Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. As always, I am so humbled and flattered that you show up each week to hear our stories, learn from our SBC friends and supporters, and hopefully leave with a sense of community that you are not alone. A couple of quick updates. So in addition to our podcast, I would also like to invite you to join our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup. It's a no agenda meetup where we share our personal experiences with breast cancer, ask questions, and get peer-to-peer support. Open to all stages, caregivers, and allies. All are welcome. We also host an NBC webinar series every other Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern and a monthly book club. You can find out more about all of our upcoming events and webinars at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. We are always looking to provide you with education, support, and resources, which is why I'm so excited for today's Breast Cancer Conversations with Kelly Grosslegs. For 25 years, Kelly has helped patients, families, caregivers, and clinicians understand and cope with grief, loss, and traumatic illness. Kelly is a sought-after public speaker, presenter, social media blogger, and author of A Comforted Heart, an oncology psychotherapist perspective on finding meaning and hope during grief and loss. You can also see the toll it takes when somebody else passes away or they get to a different stage and they're not able to advocate. So then in the background, even though I don't directly know some of these women, like I grieve because I'm grieving for what they're doing for my community and I'm grieving for the other people I'm around. Welcome to the conversation. So my name is Kelly Grasslugs. As Abigail said, I'm I'm truly, truly so grateful. I am um, an oncology psychotherapist up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I actually left practice about a year and a half ago so that I could teach more and um, co-produce a documentary titled "Dying Is Not Giving Up," um, which features Judy Erdahl. Some of you may know Judy, who died of metastatic breast cancer um, in August of 2019. And Judy's one of Judy's missions was to make sure that we talk more openly about difficult conversations in medical care. Um, she, she, and I, I'm not breaking any confidence because she said this, and we say it on the on the documentary, but she was a client of mine and for a long time. Um, and we would have discussions often about she was pretty connected to Facebook world with the metastatic community and was an advocate and felt horrible about some of the lack of conversations that would happen around difficult conversations. And so she would come in. One of the things I get to do as part of my job is I get to go into the medical schools. I get to go into the PA schools, nursing schools and try and teach how to bring up difficult conversations. The only difficult conversation isn't just about dying. It's about a lot of things, right? Sexuality, body image changes, um, treatment changes, um, quality versus quantity of living, um, healing versus curing, which we all can heal even when we can't be cured. And I think that's that's a really important concept. As Judy was getting closer to death, I would see her at her home. and. She asked me, and I agreed to see my patients that were end stage, um, even though I stopped. So I, I saw about five or six people 
until their death. Um, and then referred the other 80 people on. Um, and so one of the things that Judy and I talked about, I said, you know, Judy, I want to really do this film and, and help because I don't, I think we have very good clinicians, um, but to be a very good clinician, you also have to have very difficult conversations. So she said, well, I want to be in that. I would love you to be in it. But in my mind, I'm like, you're like weeks away from dying. <laughs> so, mm. And I am not organized. Like when I say this, but then if you know Judy Erdahl, when she says she wants to do something, she does it. So then I just drove home thinking, yeah, I think, you know, I got her okay to do this. I'm going to work on this. And she called me and she said, I need to be in this. I don't want to just be in this. I need to be in this. Okay. So the thing started rolling. And for those, um, we have another screening coming up in April. So um, if you don't follow Conversations with Kelly on Facebook, please do. And I'll let, um, we've been trying to focus it right now in the industry people for educators in medical schools and PA schools and oncology practices and beyond oncology, um, diabetes, everything. So that's one of the things I'm doing. Now, what led me to this work? Um, I am not a cancer survivor. I have had people in my family die of cancer. Um, but what led me to this work is my mother, when she was 33, had a heart attack on the grocery store floor. I was 11 and she was resuscitated and brought to an ICU um, in a hospital. And that was in the early eighties before palliative care and hospice. And you guys, it could have been a lot better of a death. So, mm. um, only in that people didn't know. And because she was so young and vibrant, uh, we gave, they wanted to give her a chance, but we witnessed three CPR events in the hospital and the nurses didn't really know how to handle an 11 year old. Um, so their, their response was, you have to go see your mother. And I literally remember them shoving my back and me arching because nobody prepared me for what an ICU looks like. Right. So shoving my back and arching and me screaming. And I think one nurse even said something like, you know, you've got to go in there and prove you love her and you got to go in and talk to her. And I'm like, so I don't do any of that in my, <laughs> in my practice. I don't shove anybody up to anybody. And but the thing I learned, because I knew that, I mean, you know, no matter what your religion is or your spirituality is, we're all more alike than different. And um, I realized that my calling or my training started at that moment. So um, I've been able to utilize that in oncology work and, and help so many kiddos um, with much better end of life conversations because um we live a good life we deserve a good death which helps with um a softer bereavement for the people we leave it doesn't mean they don't hurt like hell it doesn't mean all of these things but it's 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 different because you know i will tell you i've had since i mean her um sisters stepped in to help raise me and one has died, and that was a much better experience of hospice and palliative care and sitting and having conversations and talking and pain management and all these things. And it it did hurt, but the bereavement has been different. So that's what led me, because most people think my mother died of cancer, and she didn't. Um, but these are applicable. 
no matter, you know, grief is, is applicable. And, um, and I work with all cancers, but metastatic breast cancer and breast cancer tend to be my most rewarding conferences that I've been able to, because, um, people are for the most part, incredibly engaged in their wellness and advocate for each other and their selves. I see that also with lung cancer. Um, and I, most of the people I work with who, who don't have breast cancer will say, I wish we had a community such as breast cancer. I mean, there's some cancers that don't even have a ribbon. Um, they're stigma, very, very stigmatized. So nobody talks about them, but, um, so, you know, our grief starts long before death. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing uh, that's important for us to talk about here is um, it starts long before death and it has to do with a lot more than just death. You know, I, I totally agree with you. The NBC community is one of the most special uh, that I certainly have been privileged to to be a part of. And it, it, it's been fascinating to watch as people have collectively grieved for individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my dear friend, Emily Garnett, we're coming up on a year since she passed away. Her birthday was, would have been uh, Friday. Um, we talked a little bit before we got started about Sandra Spivey mm-hmm. uh, passing away recently. And, and, and so these are people that are widely known. Sandra, probably a little bit more than Emily since she had been around for a while. So would you talk a little bit about collective grief and just what that means when you've got this large disparate community united in grieving for a specific person? Sure. So I want to make a distinction between grief and loss before I talk about grief anymore. Um, Loss is the event that happens. So whether it's a diagnosis of a mental illness, a diagnosis of breast cancer, a diagnosis of prostate cancer, whatever it may be, uh, losing a job, you know, treatment stops working, whatever. That is the event. And typically events have more of kind of a timeline to them. Uh, You know, there's kind of a beginning of an event, middle, and okay. Grief is the reaction to the loss. And our society has that backwards. Our society makes grieving something that has, um, they want it to have a timeline on it. They want it to have kind of like, okay, they died on this day, you grieve for this amount of time, and then you should be done on this time. Or you got a divorce on this day, it's been a year, Why are, whatever it may be. We have to remember that grief is a lifelong process to loss. It really is. Mm-hmm. And that don't make your grief an event. Make your grief a process. Make your grief an experience that is related to a loss. Mourning, as we understand the word M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, is our outward expression of our grief. So we grieve internally. We have these feelings internally. And then when we mourn, that's what we show the world. So I think those those are important distinctions because when we get caught up in that grief is an event, that's when we start to wrap our heads around, okay, there's supposed to be this middle and end and all that. When we're talking about collective grief, it's very real. And collective grief tends to also be correlated to complicated grief because it's in, we're almost in what we call a bereavement overload or a grief overload. Um, We're being hit every day with one more loss or one more grief. Um, 
And what's very interesting from what I've learned, again, I don't know this person, but from what I've learned from listening and paying attention in the communities with metastatic cancer is that you're absolutely right. You don't have to know any, you don't have to ever have met somebody and be completely impacted by their loss, by the change in their treatment, by their inability to walk, by their death. And that's because collectively, and you know, when we love deeply or we care deeply or we engage deeply, we grieve deeply. And so I think that's a, that's a very important thing. And what I always want to encourage people to do is please don't try to justify or explain why you feel the way you feel. It's important to embrace the way you feel. Um, you may have just started getting to know somebody two days ago and they die. And you are profoundly impacted by that. And that is confusing to us. We don't understand why. And I've even heard people shame themselves or diminish themselves and say, this is so silly. I, I don't understand this. I just, we just, I've only literally had one conversation with her. And she could have the same name as your best friend. She could have, the, she could be the same age as your mother. She could be the same age as you. But it's that collective grief that you've now said goodbye to maybe six, seven, eight, nine people in the last month. And this one, for some reason, allowed you to really have the emotions and really express. Where we get caught up, though, everyone, is when we try to figure it out and try to go back and go, I just don't understand why this one, when last year with Emily, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Collectively, though, and okay, so you have that going on, plus we have COVID going on, plus we have isolation mm. going on, plus we have life going on, plus our kids just didn't get into the choir they wanted to get into, plus this, plus that, plus this. So it's cumulative. It's cumulative. And it often will take more of what I would call a benign um, loss, which doesn't diminish it, but one that we aren't really expecting that sometimes really can open the floodgates. Gail like takes care of all of us and she struggles in silence, right? But sometimes we can see it by the lack of like her smile or like her engagement. No pressure, Abigail. I'm just making mm -hmm. the statement. So therefore, like when she struggles, I feel like I struggle with her because it's a relatable thing. So is that part of the grief because you realize where she is, where we are and the association? Yeah. Grief and love and grief and care can't co they can't exist without the other, right? So you really okay. care you really care about Abigail. And right. you connect to her and people and Abigail's connected to you. So absolutely. And part of that is we you may look at Abigail as she's she's our rock, she's our person, she's our this, she's our that. And then she's having a hard day. You've essentially, and again, this isn't to pressure anybody, but this is just the way this is. You've essentially lost that, that rock for that moment. Then you start worrying about her. Is she going, is she doing this? Is she doing that? And that is a loss. That absolutely is a loss. And I think, um, because if she's not smiling, does that mean she's more in pain? And if she's in more in pain, does that mean her disease is getting worse? And, that, you know, we start to go down this path. You can also see the toll it takes when somebody else passes away or they get to a different stage and they're not able to advocate. So then in the background, even though I don't directly know some of these women, like I grieve, 
because I'm grieving for what they're doing for my community and I'm grieving for the other people I'm around. Well, and you know, I want to say this to everybody. If you feel something, it's valued. It's validated. Okay. It's validated. It's validated, period. Why we in this human race, I, you know, there's not another species out there that does this. Every other species out there, animal, mammal, whatever, they, if they have emotions, they roll with it. They just go with it. They see something, they get scared, they go back, they, they get sad, they do whatever. We take it a step further. We feel, and then we try to figure out. We feel, and then we want to get in our head about it. And I think if you're feeling whatever you're feeling, whether it's about Abigail or someone else in the group, you're justified of that, Amy. Like, absolutely. And that just, you know, it, it, it's risky to love. Right. It's risky. Well, it's with risky. Love, there's, there's always loss with love, but that's, that, but that's a chance. I'd rather take that chance and not take the chance at all and not know that. Exactly. Exactly. Some of us are very external processors. We want to, we want to talk it out. We want to, um, you know, we don't necessarily want anybody to answer us. We just want to talk it out. Some of us go internally um, and neither one is right or wrong. You know, I think it's just, but what I think is beautiful, Amy, is I think you said it beautifully, Abigail, like Amy pays close attention to me because one of the things I hear in grief that is very, very isolated is that isolation is so hard. Some people aren't, they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. You spoke one time somewhere and the grief starts when we get diagnosed because life changes. I think that was probably the most helpful thing that I've ever heard in all this process because I didn't realize you, you could grieve yeah. something while you're still living it. And I think that's the misconception. Grief has a bad connotation to it. People don't like the word. It feels uncomfortable because we associate it with pain and suffering. And I understand that. It's also our right to grieve. Okay. It is one of our human rights to grieve for something when we feel sad about it changing or being different. I've grieved over something like moving out of a house, sobbing, 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 because my kids were born there, my da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like people then looked at me and said, but you made the decision to move. I don't understand why you're sad. So there's this concept, and I apologize for those of you that have heard me talk, but I write about it in my book, and it's called Both And. And it's something I think we have to apply to all of our lives that we can both be sad and be okay. We can both be, um, you know, scared and still feel resilient. We can both be grieving and still participating in our life. And I think that that's a really important thing. And absolutely grief starts the moment of diagnosis. And in it, and it changes, grief changes, but that day of diagnosis, most people will remember it very well, or remember the day that they became metastatic or remember the day they recurred or remember the day. Most people don't forget it. They can tell you what the weather was like. Were they on the phone? Were they in the office? Were, were they, who was, who were they with? Did the doctor seem engaged? Was it on the phone? Was it rushed? Was it a Friday at four? God help us. Um, and so, you know, all of those things. Um, but I really, if you walk away with anything today, please walk away that if you have emotions to something, those are validated and they should not need to be explained to anybody. 
And when I, when I'm on calls with families, what I say is it is not their job. Their meaning whomever the person living with cancer, the person living with heart disease, whomever it's not their job to make you comfortable with their grief. And I'll say that again. It is not your job to make another person okay or comfortable with your grieving process. It's their job to try and hold space and understand what's going on. But whenever we are feeling like we have to get into a ring with somebody and try to explain to them, whether it's the grief, whether it's your scanxiety, whether it's whatever, it's really not our job, particularly in grief, to make another person comfortable with our process. I just want to underline that and like bold it and like flashing lights or something like that. Like it, it's not our job Mm-mm. to make our experience, what we are going through, okay for anybody else. That's right. Again, I'm glad that's in flashing lights. I've been quoted on that multiple times. It's given people empowerment because it truly, I think as grievers, we are expected to try to explain and justify to people why we feel the way we do. It's not our job. That's Sandra. I didn't know Sandra Spivey, but I bet she had that sense of 24 years. Everybody's looked to me. They've held me. They've held me because I could do this for 24 years. And then can you imagine when things stopped working or she decided that she no longer wanted to suffer in that way or whatever happened and put out there publicly, I'm going to be going to hospice, which is not, by the way, giving up and is not, by the way, uh, a defeat. But I imagine she felt that after being a 24 24- year People put her there as that poster child of this is what is possible. And then that, but you know, I'm proud of her. I've never met her, but I'm proud of her for sharing it publicly. She was going into hospice because I imagine that shook a ton of people. Um, Well, Kelly, we will definitely have you back because I think that it's, it's so important to have uh, somebody who really understands this, this conversation and can help from a, a a higher level. I feel like, you know, when you haven't been through something, when you're a little bit on the outside of it, you can see more objectively. Um, You know, I just want to acknowledge that we have some, some allies on here, people who've been affected by people living with NBC, Gary has lost his wife. Karen has lost her daughter. And, you know, the grieving of people around us is so important to, to acknowledge as well. And, you know, I really appreciate you both entering into and want, wanting to understand how, how we and your loved ones have gone through things. I think that's, that's so powerful. Um, but I also acknowledge that that's part of your grieving process. Yeah. To, yeah. to be a part of these ongoing conversations. Gary, I know for your, your kids. Um, and Karen, I know that it's just been so hard for you without Amanda. So, but I really appreciate you still connecting to the community because you are, you are loved and you are cared for so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you, Kelly, well, for you being guys, here. The one thing I want to say is that if you're on Facebook, please come over and visit me on Conversations with Kelly um, because I do... There are so many beautiful people living with uh, breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer, other cancers. 
that will write things. And um, it's such an honor to be part of that. And then um, Brian Pyatt and I, every other Wednesday, do a live on Facebook about all topics. And so um, not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. And some of you have joined in and I'm so grateful. But I really feel like we just touched, we just scratched the surface. Don't forget, any of you, don't forget who you are. And that's that's the grief, right? We can lose sight of that. But don't forget who you are. And I had all these beautiful things I was going to read and the time just went so fast. So um, thank you, Laura and Abigail for having me and for all of you. Kelly, I really appreciate you being a guest on Breast Cancer Conversations and helping us understand and process the feelings of emotions and grief. This has been incredibly enlightening and I look forward to having you back on the podcast for more conversations to come. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.